Well, good morning. Hello. Hello. Okay. We're there. My name is David Blouse. Now, you will find it helpful to have a Bible handy uh, as we work through that passage in 2 Corinthians again. So the second of those readings is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Let me pray for us as we get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we ask, please, that you would uh, remind us of your character this morning, that you would show us who you are, that we would know that you are the God of comfort. We ask in particular for those of us who are going through uh, times of real struggle now, those of us who right now feel like we're in the valley of the shadow of death, that you would lift our eyes up to the Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen us, that we might endure and that you would strengthen us as we remember the hope that we have that lies before us. And we ask this, that we might turn our thanks and our praise to you and for your glory. Amen. Well, suffering is just about the one great universal. If you think about all the different people all around the world uh, and what your life might look like compared to theirs, you might have absolutely nothing in common with them. Except that highly likely, in fact pretty much guaranteed, at some point in your lives you are going to suffer. I mean, just stop and think for a moment, right? You, you compare yourself to a, a university student in Chile or to a native in one of the lost tribes in the Amazon to a Mongolian horse herder, right? Y- your lives are just going to look so vastly different. Except at the point where life gets difficult. Suffering is truly universal. And I think suffering in particular in the face of death is when it truly hits home and where whatever view you have of the world, of God, of yourself, of life, you need an answer to that. You need a way of coping with it, of dealing with it, of looking to the future. Now this morning in particular, we're going to spend time considering what God has to say to us in the face of suffering. I remember for me particularly when I first realised how universal suffering is, that, that it is going to hit us all sooner or later. When you're really little, perhaps even when you're a teenager, I don't know that it sinks in. You might have tragic circumstances that happen, but the kind of the resilience of youth, it just washes over. I remember I was 18 at the time, uh, and my dad had received a phone call about a dear friend of his who was an upcoming leader in the movement that he worked in. Uh, he received a phone call that that person had died in a tragic car accident. And I remember just it, it, it just unmade my dad. All he could do was sit there and weep. And I'm, I'm 18, right? Awkward kind of teenager. I'm like, oh, where's mum? I mean, come on. Like, like I guess I'm, I'm home alone. I'm going to have to go and, you know, they're there, dad. But it seared into my mind. This, this was my dad. This was the man, right? And here he is, weeping. Suffering will come to us. And yet God, we will see... Our God is the right God to know in those times. Now before we come to this topic though, I want to give you a little bit of context. As we start the book of 2 Corinthians, I want to give you the two minute version of what's happened so far. It's a rather complicated story, I'm going to simplify it. Paul preached the gospel in a place called Corinth and I think we have a map and I'm going to drive it. All right, here we go. Uh, no, Andrew's going to drive it for me. Thank you very much. Uh, that's really small. Anyway, that's the part of the world where we're talking about. 
Paul was in, it doesn't matter because you can't see where it is anyway. Uh, Paul was in Corinth. He preached the gospel. A whole bunch of people were saved. They started a church. They kind of got it all going. He was there for about a year and a half. In that period of a year and a half, he taught them everything they needed to know. He set up leaders, put the structures into place. The church was humming. We're looking good. Paul says, I'm going home now. I've got more work to do. You guys are up and running. Things are going well. I'll leave you to it. On his way home, news reaches him that not all is well in Corinth. A whole bunch of immorality has started creeping in. People are starting to live in ways that aren't in accord with what Paul had taught them. What do I do, right? Paul starts to get a bit concerned. He sends some people back. Timothy goes back to try and talk these guys out of it. Uh, he writes, possibly he writes a first letter. Joe and I disagree. Uh, I think that he wrote a letter and we don't have it. So our first Corinthians is actually second Corinthians. Uh, Joe thinks that first Corinthians is the letter that's referred to in first Corinthians. Either way, it doesn't really matter, right? Paul is dealing with these guys, trying to sort them out. Now, it gets worse. The story, by the time we get to the letter of 1 Corinthians, it's just a disaster. Some leaders have, I don't know if they've been raised up or been appointed or whether they've self-appointed themselves within the church at Corinth who are just throwing mud at Paul. Ah, you guys remember Paul? He's a, a little man, a weak man. He, 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 I mean, he was poor. He suffers all the time. He's just doing it tough. You remember when he was here, he was, he was working and doing stuff with his hands. He was a very unimpressive figure. He couldn't speak particularly well. I mean, I, I don't know why you guys think that Paul was bringing a message from God. In fact, these false leaders says, say, let me teach you the real truth. The church in Corinth was well and truly losing its way. So by the time Paul writes 1 Corinthians, it was chaos. There were factions within the church. There were lawsuits. They were suing each other. Just imagine for a moment, right, that this half of the church is divided against this half of the church, right? Never the two shall meet. And the front half of the church is suing the back half of the church. That's kind of the situation that's going on. There was incest among them. There was chaos at the Lord's table. Some people were coming forward and just getting absolutely hammered, right? It's like the first guy just grabs the goblet and downs it all. And then everyone else has got nothing left to go with. There was corruption of worship it had just become a complete free-for-all they'd misled each other on what spiritual gifts were about they'd lost the importance of the word of god there was poor leadership they were loveless with one another there was confusion about the resurrection it was bad and if you want to read about any of that you can go and read one corinthians it's all in there <sighs> paul was pretty upset as you could imagine. The church he spent a year and a half with, the people who become Christians through his ministry, are now being led astray and are living contrary to the gospel. He's waiting to hear from them. Now it's possible that in between 1 and 2 Corinthians that Paul went and visited them, and it's also possible that he wrote them another letter that we don't have. And that's possible. I'm not saying it's what happened. But somehow we get to the point where Paul is waiting to hear what happened. Have they come good or have they completely lost it? Until, and we read this in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, this is what we read. This is kind of where we're at as 2 Corinthians is written. Uh, he's, he's verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 7. God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus 
Titus has come from Corinth to Paul, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you have given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. You became sorrowful as God intended, and so weren't harmed by us. Oh, just the the feelings. Yes, they're good. They're good. They've listened. They've turned aside from the false leaders. They're back listening to Paul again. They're back listening to God again. They're back living God's way. So 2 Corinthians is a much nicer letter in some ways than 1 Corinthians. The tone of it has that background in view. It's not Paul writing to hammer them to come back to the truth. It's in the context in which they have repented and restored relationship. But Paul's not stupid. And odds are pretty high that... Those false leaders were still in the church. They might not have been in leadership anymore. They might not have been teaching anymore. But they are still going to be causing waves. And so all the way through 2 Corinthians, we're going to see a whole bunch of times, Paul is essentially showing his credentials. He's defending his ministry. He's standing up and saying, no, you guys are doing right by listening to me, by looking to me, by learning from me. It's not that all is well, or at least while all is well, let's make sure we understand it properly. And in one sense, what this first chapter is setting out to do, you could well imagine, right, these false teachers having this critique of Paul. How could it possibly be that Paul is one of God's teachers, God's leaders, God's apostles, for crying out loud, given how much he's suffered? Surely God is against Paul rather than for Paul. Surely God has abandoned him. His life was horrible. The stuff that he had to go through, I mean, we'll read a little bit of it in a moment, but surely God can't be for him. And Paul in this first section wants to make very clear to them that far from having been abandoned by God, God is the only reason he has been able to continue on in the face of how tough a life he's had. God is the one who has strengthened him for endurance, who has comforted him. And so, as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, what I want to show you today is that the God that we worship, the God that has saved us, the God that we know, is the God who brings comfort The God who brings strength. And I'm going to tell you, this matters a lot for all of us. You might be, as I said at the start, someone who is right now suffering. And you need to hear this. And you might not be right now. Life's okay. You need to hear this too. Because suffering will come. You need to be prepared. Well, firstly then, as we come down into our chapter, Paul tells the Corinthians of the promise of comfort. Have a look with me at verse 3. Right, Paul, verses 1 and 2, introduces himself in the letter, kind of that background we've spoken of. Verse 3, he begins, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, 
See, praise, how good is God? Praise God. How good is God? By his very character, by his very nature, he is the God of all comfort. He is the Father of compassion. He is the one who brings strength and courage to those who are suffering. How good is God? Now you stop and reflect for a moment on the words of Scripture that describe the relationship of God towards us. In the words of one of the greatest theologians of our time, be strong and courageous. The Lord of the ages holds his little ones safe. If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? What power or strength can remove God for, from us if he is for us? What circumstances of life could somehow separate us from God? If God has so poured out his love on us in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what can separate us from the love of God? The answer, of course, being nothing. There is no life or death or darkness or light or distance or anything, any power in earth that can separate us. From God. God is the God who comforts his people. Now in case you're wondering about Paul and you're thinking to yourself, well maybe he didn't really ever do it that tough. You know, it's, it's all well and good for you to talk about comfort in the face of suffering, but my life's pretty rubbish. Did Paul really know what he's talking about? Listen to this description from chapter 6. This is just one. There's three or four descriptions of Paul's life. Listen to this one. Uh, from chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians, halfway through verse 4, right? We commend ourselves to you. How? In great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. Now, it could be describing parenting, but it's, it's, it, he, he had it for real, right? He suffered truly. Have you... Have, have you noticed the news in the last 48 hours? The, the world has gone topsy-turvy. It, it, I, I don't know what's happened. Spring is in the air and all the revolutions have started at once. It, you see the news in Mexico. Culiacan, you see what's happening there? Right? They managed to capture the son of one of the drug lords who is currently in jail in the US. So the henchmen of that drug gang have essentially begun a war in that city. They, they came in with uh, military-grade weaponry, right? So, so they're carrying rocket-propelled grenade launchers. They're, they've got, like, M249 machine guns on the back of trucks. The sort of stuff that you normally see armies doing, the drug lords are doing that. They, they have taken over from the police at most checkpoints because the police see them coming. There's, vi like, videos of this, right? The police see them coming and the police just go and just stand back. There's buildings aflame. There's, there's helicopters firing those insane helicoptery guns. And you just listen to the sound of it. And it sounds like something out of Terminator 2. It is, this is happening right now in Mexico. I know we've got a photo of it. Is this one of the photos you found for me, Joe? Joe, Joe enjoyed the sermon so much this morning that he went and found some photos for me. Um, there you go. There's the live display. Just, let, just leave it up for me, Andrew. I'll drive it. There you go. You just leave it. I've got it. Right? That, that's a picture from Mexico. Right, that's Mexico. Chile, same thing is happening. I'm serious. In the last 48 hours, 
There's been, I don't know if it's right to call it a revolution, but a riot has happened. Uh, university students uh, finally had enough of price hikes. They've set fire to a bunch of the train stations. The entire railway grid across the entire city has been shut down. Buildings like, um, did, you get, did you get me a chilly one? Is this, right, the whole thing is on fire. Massive multi-storey buildings are ablaze. The police have just declared martial law and are coming in to shut the city. All of this, this and that's the kind of stuff... Paul went through. Did he know about sufferings? Oh, he did. He was at the receiving end of those kind of riots. He had been stoned, as in, not, but as in like, right, that kind of stoning. He had been chased out of town. He had been imprisoned. He'd been beaten. He'd been, and that Paul says, God, is a God of comfort. God stands with his people. The Lord, who is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The Lord, who is always with you, as near to you as a part of your own body, right? Your hand, your foot, that's where the Lord is. The Lord who never leaves us who has promised to never leave us or forsake us. The Lord who takes up residence in us. The Lord who has at his disposal unlimited resources. The Lord who promises to supply all that we need in Jesus. The Lord who is the God of comfort, who will comfort us in all our affliction. That is the Lord who promises comfort. Now I want to make sure we understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about comfort. I think we've twisted the word a little bit. See we've taken comfort to essentially become being made comfortable. To comfort somebody is to try and take them out of their situation of pain. To try and take the sadness away from them. Right? Oh you'll be right there, there, cheer up. To make somebody physically feel well. Right? To comfort somebody is to put the blanket on them when they're feeling cold. Whereas here the word, perhaps a better word, would almost be fortitude, strength, courage, the ability to endure. It's not to be taken out of the pain, it's to stand firm in the midst of the pain, to be able to see it through. It's, it's, it's the footy coach at the half time. Right In the middle of that muddy game, you've just been getting run all over, you're down a bajillion points to none, you come into the sheds and you need comfort. This kind of comfort. As in, not the coach going, oh there, there, it'll be alright. Why don't you have a little warm shower, wash the mud off and we'll go out for the second half. Won't that be lovely? No, that's pointless. Rather, you need the coach to get up behind you and go, come on! You can do it! Fire up! Here's your orange. Right? Whatever it is that the coach is going to do that's going to get you going, that's going to strengthen you, we will win this. Because in our case, the coach has already won. It's a weird game. The coach won it for us, but it's called rigging in most modern football. not allowed. In our case, the coach has already won. And he's standing there and he says, Be strong. Endure what lies ahead. The end is already set. We face sufferings with the promise, the reality from the very nature of our God, that he's the God who comforts. 
But his comfort has a rather strange purpose. I don't know if you noticed it. The start of chapter 1 there. If you notice it, because if you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, comfort is for my sake, right? God ought to comfort me for my good so that I can stand and I can endure and I can... Well, it's true, he does, but he has an even bigger purpose. Have a look again at verse 4. I praise be to God who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You see, the purpose of receiving comfort is that you can comfort others. Well, I'll tell you what, that's not only counter-cultural, that's, that's almost counter to my instincts. I'm not to be about me. God says, of course it's not about you. It's a very Christian way of looking at it, isn't it? Of course it's not about you. You are going through this suffering that God might strengthen you for endurance, that you yourself might be of strengthening and endurance to others who suffer, that you might be of comfort, which, by the way, gives us a bit of a glimpse into how it is that comfort comes to us. How is it that God comforts you? Well, I take it that it will happen quite often through other Christians. Those who have gone before you, those who have suffered before you and have been strengthened themselves, who come and stand alongside you and, if need be, prop you up and say, stand firm, endure. Paul's mindset is astonishing. Can you imagine saying, I will suffer whatever it is that I need to suffer. I will go through whatever hardship it is that I need to go through in order that I might be able to bless you. (laughs) I mean, that's a different way of viewing suffering, isn't it? I'll face it. I'll take it. Whatever it is in order that I might be able to come back and bless you, that I can be of comfort to you. See, comfort doesn't happen in a vacuum. Suffering doesn't happen in a vacuum. You are not alone in the midst of difficulty. We are partners in this. There is great partnership in comfort. Look down at verse 6. Again, Paul's picking up the same idea. He's he's suffering for their sake. He's comforted for their sake. Verse 6, if we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Am I distressed? Well, it's for your sake. Am I comforted? Well, it's for your sake. It's an amazing picture of Christian partnership. It is so easy. It's so easy when you're doing it tough to feel alone. It's so easy to feel like you're the only one who understands what you're going through. So easy to feel like you're the only one who has ever felt this, who has gone through these circumstances. It's so easy to feel alone. Whereas Paul is showing us this picture of the partnership that we ought to have one with another. Where we are so desiring of the other person to be comforted. That we will go through whatever it takes that we might be able to comfort them. Partnership in God's comfort, in God's comfort which binds us together. 
So we have the promise of God of comfort. We have the purpose that we might be of strength to one another. It shows us this partnership that we are doing at one together. Paul then moves on to tell us about the power of God's comfort in verses 8 and 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, he says, about the hardships we suffered. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, such that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of God. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What an astonishing description of suffering. We felt like we were under a sentence of death. We, 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 we were done. There's no looking forward. There's nothing. There's nothing left. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. It's not that Paul somehow, well, sure, he suffered, but he was an unusually strong character and he could do it, right? Soldier up and muscle through it. No. He was crushed by it. You ever heard that saying, God won't give you more than you can handle? Have you ever heard that one? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very common, right? You, you hear it all the time. And it's not true. It's not true. Well, I mean, the, the, the thought is, oh, no, no, whatever it is that comes your way, you'll, you'll be able to. You'll see it through. You'll be right. No. Sometimes the suffering is too much. Sometimes the situation is more than we can bear. In fact, that's kind of the point. Because it is at that moment that we finally realise the truth, the reality, that has been true all along. But it's taken that rock bottom for us to realise it, that what we need is not to handle it ourselves, but to rely upon God. And I love that description of God's power. See, Paul says it was so bad that we felt like we were under the sentence of death. And who is the God that we trust in? The God who raises the dead. Even if you are under a sentence of death, God is still able and capable and willing to deliver. Even if you die, God is still able and capable and willing to deliver. For he is the God who gives life to the dead. That is the power of the one who brings us our comfort, who stands beside us to strengthen us. In the midst of that suffering, we need to learn to trust the one whose power is absolute. We need to receive strength from that one. And it's a comfort that lasts. It's a comfort that will last. It's not just a once-off Right At the moment when you're really down, yes, you'll get it then. But the rest of the time, eh. or you get a one-off. You're born with a one-get-out-of-jail-free card in God's comfort. It'll only come to you once. And you've used it, sorry, that's it. No, you have to land on chance again and maybe draw it. No, it doesn't work that way. There is perpetuity. God's comfort endures. Look at verse 10. God has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Friends, in this life, anything can fail you. In fact, I'd put good money that sooner or later in some way, everything will fail you. 
Every person that you thought were the closest and dearest, every possession that you thought was the shiniest and prettiest, it's made out of stainless steel, it's going to last forever. Every system and structure, every organisation that you thought was inevitably going to be great all your life, they will fail. Except for God. He will not. Because it is part of his very character. He is the unchanging one. And he is the God of all comfort. Now look, we, we could... We could spend uh, many, 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 many minutes, if not hours, just pulling out example after example after example throughout the whole scriptures of God's deliverance of his people. I mean, think of the Old Testament, right? Israel, who just time and time and time again gave God every single reason to stop comforting them. Every single reason to turn his back and walk away, to say enough is enough. And what happened instead? Isaiah 40 happened. Comfort, comfort my people, speak tenderly to her, that her time of iniquity is paid for, that what lies ahead is deliverance and salvation and hope. And in fact, even better than what Israel had, we know how it came in the Lord Jesus Christ. The comfort of God is not something that will end, but will endure. And finally then, the comfort comes And astonishingly, you and me get to participate in it. You notice again at the end of verse 10, again halfway through, on him, on God, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Isn't it amazing that God will comfort Paul as they pray. Friends, please never think of prayer as pointless. Never think of prayer as a waste of time. Never think of prayer as ineffective. Whatever reason, maybe you stopped praying a while ago. You thought to yourself, there's no point. You can arrive at that conclusion by lots of different directions, right? I mean, if you want kind of the hyper-Calvinist version of it, you just, well, God is sovereign. God's going to do whatever it is that he's going to do. So what's the point in me praying? So you're just not going to pray. You can arrive that way. You can arrive this way where you say, well, God's too busy. He's not going to listen to me. I'm nobody. He can't hear me, so what's the point in praying? So I'm not going to pray. You can arrive at that conclusion by a myriad of different ways, and they're all wrong. God hears you, and God works through our prayers. That is part of how he operates. So please, would you be praying for each other? And in particular, if you're the sort of person who's in the habit of saying, I'll pray for you. If you are that sort of person, then don't be a hypocrite and go away and pray for them. (laughs) Make sure you pray. And make sure you keep praying. It's not a once-off. We had a conversation, I'll pray for you, I'm walking away. Uh, Dear God, just look after them, right? Good. Done. I've prayed. Yes, tick the box. No. Keep praying for them. Weeks, months. It's made much easier if you have a system of prayer. If, if, if you're the kind of person who just, right at the end of the day, you're lying in bed and you're like, oh, I better pray and just whatever comes to mind, I'll, I'll pray for that. That's good. I mean, don't, don't hear me knocking that. But it's kind of hard to remember who, all those people that you said you were going to pray for at that point in time. Pray for one another. Interestingly, those who pray are often the ones who care. 
Those who pray are the ones who are invested. Those who pray in the way that God operates end up being the ones whose heart are tied up in that. You ever, you ever been in a Bible study? Uh, you've got 10 people around the room, you're sharing prayer points, and, uh, and you've been praying for, uh, for, for this person's mate, Fred, for a long time. And the day comes, he comes to Bible study, he's like, you wouldn't believe it, Fred became a Christian this week. And three people in the room go, yes, that is so good. Who's been praying for Fred? Those three people. As we pray, we care. We get to participate in the work that God does of comforting his children. And as we pray, we then turn the answers to prayer into thanksgiving, resulting and flowing out into the glory of God. As we point to him and say, oh, how good is our God. It brings us right back to verse 3. Praise be to our God. For he is the one who by his very nature has compassion and brings comfort. Now look, you might be one of those people who right now feels like you're under the sentence of death. That you should just look forward and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. You need to fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus. You need to have the hope that Paul had, that God is the God who delivers. That God is the God who brings the dead to life. A life everlasting that awaits you in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be strengthened by him to endure. You need to fix your eyes on the hope of deliverance that is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you're not going through that right now, then make sure you are somebody who stands with those who are. That you are in prayer with them. And I'm going to say particularly if you yourself have suffered and been comforted. Don't keep that to yourself. You have suffered and been comforted that you may be of comfort to others. It may require bravery to open up, to be prepared to share, to be courageous about what's happened to you in the past. Or it simply may mean just being able to stand next to those who are suffering. And friends, I want all of us to praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we might go home knowing his nature and his character. That we might go home knowing his comfort. The one who gives us strength to endure. Looking forward to the day when the pain and the suffering and the tears will end. When our Lord Jesus takes us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are oh so grateful for who you are. We love that you are good. That it is in your nature to have compassion and mercy. That it is your promise to bring strength and comfort. We thank you that we face the hardship of life and the sufferings of this cursed world with you by our side, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving Father. Comfort those who grieve, strengthen those who are weak and build us all up that the partnership we share may be a partnership that brings you glory as we see your hand at work amongst us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing as we reflect upon the one in whom our hope is found.
in Christ alone.